0: Welcome to the BioCurious Podcast, a place for you to be curious about your biology and discover new ways to upgrade and optimize your mind, body, and human performance. The guests on this podcast are trained experts in the fields of functional health, holistic wellness, and biohacking, who share my passion to provide useful and actionable information with all of you that I hope will help you to live your best life. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm excited to get curious together. Welcome to part two of the two-part episode on functional neurology with Dr. Adam Harcourt, who is the owner of Imagine X Functional Neurology, located in Santa Barbara and Beverly Hills, California. Dr. Harcourt is a fellow of the American College of Functional Neurology, a fellow of the American Board of Vestibular Rehabilitation, a diplomat of the American Chiropractic Neurology Board, and is certified in functional neuroorthopedic rehabilitation. Dr. Harcourt is also a professor of clinical neurology at Carrick Institute. He's developed a novel migraine and concussion treatment programs based on the latest research, years of experience treating patients and Root Cause Medicine. He has become the go-to doctor for these conditions, and his treatment programs bring patients to his offices from all around the world. Dr. Harcourt has also created a post-doctorate fellowship program, and has written a book. Both are titled Mastering Migraine. He's also dedicated to giving back and has served as the board president at Jody House Brain Injury Support Center in Santa Barbara, California, where he volunteers his time to support victims of traumatic brain injury. On part two of this two-part episode, you will learn about functional diagnosis and the recovery process for brain injury and why it's more effective than the typical Western medicine approach, what you should do after a concussion, why you need to be assessed before going back to full intensity activity, the best sideline assessments for concussion that anyone can do, why many NFL players have long-term adverse outcomes from concussion and brain injury, how the NFL is improving their gear and concussion diagnosis protocols, the best treatment for someone with an old concussion who's still experiencing symptoms, why post-traumatic headache is often misdiagnosed, how to properly diagnose post-concussion syndrome and why it's important to catch it early, why rest is not the best advice post-concussion, effective therapies to reverse severe symptoms, and even regress Alzheimer's. Why each brain injury case requires a different treatment approach. How to self-treat brain fog. The most common reasons why people experience brain fog. How to naturally improve your memory. Why your balance might actually be impeding your memory. How diet plays a major role in brain injury and migraine treatment. Why daily habits are more important than anything that's done in your doctor's office. Why lifestyle medicine is necessary for most common diseases in modern society. How modern medical technology is both saving us and killing us at the same time. And the key to overall health, wellness, performance, productivity that might actually surprise you. If you missed part one of this two-part series on functional neurology, make sure to go back and listen to last week's episode, which was all about the pathophysiology, diagnosis, and functional treatment of migraine. If you're okay with it, I would actually like to talk a little bit more about the other areas of the brain that you treat in your practice and the other um, neurological conditions, like for instance, concussion, um, and people that may not know exactly what their condition is, but they might be suffering from symptoms like brain fog, insomnia, or having memory issues, and of how you treat those folks and what are like the first line interventions?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, and with concussions, and just kind of, tra- this is a great transition into concussion, is yeah. I just gave a, a whole, like an hour-long talk on the the misunderstanding between uh, post-traumatic headache and migraine, so this is why it's a good transition mm-hmm. here. Um, and so, for example, I we've seen this a lot where people come in do- diagnosed with migraine, and it's not migraine. And so I, I get to chat with a doctor friend of mine down in Beverly Hills where our new office is, and he's a pain intervention specialist that gets all of his referrals from medical neurologists that are um, referring over migraine patients. And they said they were seeing so many that were not migraine that they did kind of a little internal study. And they found from those referrals over 50% didn't have migraine, right? Wow. That's kind of unbelievable, isn't it? Um, And so it it just makes you even question like research on migraine. Well, if somebody gets 50% better, maybe it was a hundred percent of the migraine patients. We don't know. Um, And it it has to do with diagnostic criteria. And Mm. so, things like post-traumatic headaches so say you get in a car accident or a concussion or whatever and you have an intense headache it gets worse with exercise you have light sensitivity sound sensitivity well that makes you diagnosable as migraine but it's not genetic you got it because you got a knock to the head so it's not migraine it's Mm -hmm. post-traumatic or it's post-concussive or it's whatever and so those are different conditions right now they have a lot of similarities so i I don't want to think they're they're just totally wildly different but they are different and so we try to make those distinctions when we have patients come in. Now, some of the best ways to, to assess for this are by like reflexive modalities. So for example, say you, you're playing football or you get hit by a car or whatever, you go to the emergency room, which is what you should do first, right? Because what you're assessing for is not whether or not you had a concussion, you're assessing for do you have a brain bleed? Do you have, you know, a hematoma? Do you have something going on? Once you rule that out, 85 to 90 percent of patients will feel almost back to normal within two to four weeks, right? So not saying functionally you're perfect, right? But symptomatically your body's going to adapt, you're going to get better. The 15, 10 to 15 percent that don't improve or don't get better within about four weeks are in what we call post-concussion syndrome. Now, I see a lot more patients that still have dysfunction but not as many symptoms. Uh, now, most of those patients don't want to get treated anyway because they're like, I feel fine and that's okay. But for that 10 to 15%, they're told the exact same thing as the people that got better, which is rest, do whatever. Um, And that's just not the best therapy. There's some good research that came out recently that said the sooner you can get back to any type of movement, the better the outcome after concussion. So the problem is if you try to get back too intensely, you can actually be making things worse. Uh, And so I liken it to if you broke your ankle and you wanted to, and you're a runner, and you wanted to run again. Well, your first therapy wouldn't be running, right? That would be silly. And so if you can actually move your ankle a little bit, that's a good therapy. If you can finally stand on it, that's great. But as soon as you can stand on it, if you then go running, you're going to make it worse. So then you just impeded your progress. So the same thing with concussion, but you can't see it, right? So just because you come into the office and you had to wear dark sunglasses and you can barely stand up for 10 minutes, now, when you can come in without sunglasses and you can get through your day, that doesn't mean you want to go full bore back into like an 80-minute workout because you're just you're re-breaking the ankle, right? You just, it's too much. Mm. And so you want to graduate up there. So the way that we assess is things like eye movements, balance, posture, things that are, are functionally visible. So we do things like posturography, where we'll put people on platforms and you can see where they're swaying, what their patterns are like. There's good, really good research on that. Um, there's a great study out of the University of Pittsburgh that um, I push all the time because it's been, it's been studied a bunch. It's called the VOMS assessment, V-O-M-S. Mm. And it's a great sideline assessment that you can do that's looking at vestibulo-ocular motor assessments. You don't need to know anything about like, what we do. All you have to do is see if you can do these activities, if you get worse, you probably have a concussion. It's been very well validated Um, and it's free. You can just do it wherever. So I try to teach coaches and and, uh, parents and stuff this as much as I can because you know this day and age, the worst thing you can do is have a kid playing football or soccer or whatever, they get a knock to the head, you don't know if they have a concussion or not, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't put them back in and the people are screaming at you or they're ready to go, then you're the bad coach that was overprotective. But then if you put them back in and they had a concussion, that's the worst thing that you can do and they're going to get you know injured again. So um, we try to t- train people on objective ways to test that aren't just how do you feel, did you pass out, you didn't pass out, so you're fine. Right? Cause that's, that is yeah. super old school.
0: <laughs> it seems like there isn't a standardized way to say for sure you have a concussion or you have a brain injury of whatever level. Correct. Um, and that's part of the epidemic that's happening in like the NFL where we're seeing all these people who had brain injury were not ever properly diagnosed. They continued to do whatever they were doing, not only in their, um, athletic career, but just in their regular daily lives that were aggravating it. And now they're coming up with all of these way more severe conditions or ending up with, you know, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, and it all could have been avoided if they had a proper diagnosis potentially in the beginning. So it's, you know, do you see us getting to a a place where we're going to have more standardized ways of diagnosing these different levels of brain injury?
1: So I do. So I was. I was really fortunate. I actually got to go to the Super Bowl about two years ago, um, and I was. I was invited to go to what was called First and Future, which is basically it was like a Shark Tank for concussion tech. Um, okay. And so uh, you know, Roger Goodell was there, and a bunch of the owners, a bunch of players, and they had all these companies come on. And there's a lot of technology being developed for prevention, for identification all this stuff. There's still not anything for treatment, which is why I've actually been you know, in contact with them. They've talked to some of our colleagues, um, but they're, they're really working hard in, to try to, at least it looks like they're trying. I don't know how it's actually put together because I'm not involved, but um, yeah. they're, they're attempting to, to keep their players safer. Now, the big issue with, with them was not so much that they, they could cause concussion. It was that they were trying to say that it didn't, right? Um, yeah. Because I, I think we can all agree that if you're, you get into boxing, you kind of know that you could have some negative side effects down the road. So I think there, there's going to have to be this right, – right now it was, no, it doesn't cause any problems. Now it's everything is terrible you know, with, with football. And so yeah. what they're trying to do is get it back to the middle where it's like, look, we have sensors in the helmets. We have these types of guidelines. We have these types of testing but there's still a risk because you're running into giant men on a regular basis. Right. Um, and I think it's going to just be an assumption of risk with the minimalization of that risk. Now, this is why I'm a huge fan of like sideline assessments and uh, reflexive testing and not just, you know, do you feel better? Can you answer these questions? But like, for example, the, the force plate that we use, if you baseline all of your players, like you can't fake a balance test right and if you do fake it it's really obvious like, mm-hmm. like I do these yeah. things all the time and so if somebody's like oh look I'm unstable like it's pretty <laughs> obvious um, and so they uh, you can get the baseline and then the research shows that if they get a hit to the head and their score changes by X amount that there's like a 98% chance they had a concussion well because you can't fake those tests those are the ones that I think should be used sideline because it's something you can know right away it's objective you can't sandbag it right which is Mm -hmm. is an issue sometimes um and so that's where i see it going is more testing of the vestibular system uh both through the eyes and through balance that's that's what's been shown the research the best so far
0: yeah i mean that would be incredible if we could all come to agreement on on how that's used and the time Um, frame like after a hit how long after can you go and still get this definitive diagnosis, that sort of thing. But I do have a question because I know some folks um, and I personally know someone who is in the NFL that has symptoms that they're experiencing now from the injury that they got playing football and then never getting a diagnosis. And then now, you know, 20, 30 years later, experiencing all of these negative side effects is there recommendations? recommendation? So if a patient came in like that to you, um, obviously the time has passed for the diagnosis, diagnosis initially, but are there things and, and exercises that they can do now that can either reverse the damage that has been done or at least mitigate the um, negative effects going forward?
1: Absolutely. Um, and that's actually what we're, I know they're trying to work on some research now. So um, like Dr. Carrick put out a good paper, uh, About a year and a half ago out of Harvard now, um, that was looking at the style that we do for concussion treatment. This is just for concussion. I'll get to the the football stuff in a sec. Um, but they were basically saying for patients that had had post-concussion syndrome, at least six months that had been refractory or didn't improve with at least three different treatments. They did the type of treatment that, that we do, but way a little bit more fun technology where they did it in, uh, in Orlando. It's a great facility Mm -hmm. down there. And, um, And they were showing that all those patients were were improving. And so that's kind of our first step into saying like, look, yes, you have this. Yes, this is going on. Now here's what you do for treatment. And so for like, for example, I did a a outside examination on a a retired NFL player, very similar to what you're talking about. They're probably in their Mm -hmm. 50s now. And um, all these symptoms, no diagnosis. And so we could see functionally all these things that are going on. Now, whether or not you have CTE or whether or not you had concussions, or you have you know, uh, Alzheimer's, or whatever it is, the point is, whatever that is going on, if you do things to target the areas of the brain that are dysfunctional with targeted therapies, you can make those areas much healthier. Now, I've mm-hmm. seen patients that have done super intense treatment, like uh, this is years ago with Dr. Carrick, people that had Alzheimer's, that we saw a just almost total regression of it. Um, but it was such an intense therapy. It's not something that you would expect many people to do. Cause it was like a case where it was like a mother-in-law of somebody like me, like another functional neurologist that they did intense treatments, then they would treat for months on end and they saw this great regression. But the point is it can happen. Um, and so with patients like that, I say, look, let's get you in, let's see what's going on. If there's things that we can give you to do to, to reduce this, like why would you not? because the alternative is basically doing nothing at this point. Um, And and that's just, that's not, to me, that's not an option. And so, yes, there are absolutely things that you can do, regardless of what your diagnosis is. So um, the problem, like, with CTE is you don't really know until, you know, it's too late. Um, So you want to do everything humanly possible uh, to to basically preserve what you got left, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's great news, because a lot of these folks may have been, you know, experiencing these symptoms or having these problems for a long time and they feel hopeless, but there is something that you can do and it's, it's actually natural and something you can do right from your home on your own, which is amazing.
1: Right. Well, Uh, and that's why I tell people, I was like, look, worst case scenario doesn't change a ton, right? Yeah. Um, That's worst case scenario. Now, realistically, that's, I usually don't take on cases that I, I don't think have any chance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've turned people away, unfortunately, that I don't think I can help out. I had to do this last week for a a more Mm -hmm. advanced um, case of something. But I sent them somewhere else, right? I try to find places that that may be able to do something. Um, But the high majority of cases that we take on, we see improvements, right? Um, And some of them, it's drastic and dramatic and happens almost right away. And then some, it's this slow, gradual progression where they're getting better but it's not like this miraculous, like I have all these problems and now they're just gone. Um, but sometimes it is, and that's fun. Right? And we just, th- that's the tough thing about this this field is for like, whether it's concussion or whether it's uh, CTE type stuff or whether it's migraine, we don't have enough data at this point, A, to say how that progression is going to go. And B, because I'm treating every one of those patients differently, right, I don't have the same therapy for all those patients. Mm-hmm. You can't say, oh, They do this exercise and it's going to, you know, fix up your condition. The best you're going to be able to do is either A, do a study on one modality and say, yes, it's something that does help some people. You can use it. Or B, do what Dr. Carrick's doing where he's saying, look, here's the model in which we're treating it with all these different modalities. And this is the outcome that we're getting. And so um, it's frustrating because it's not a black and white thing. Um, And it's not something that you can just pick up and say, oh, I'm going to try this new med, or I'm going to try this new device, because it's just, it's not how it works, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I think it's frustrating, but it's also really um, exciting, because there are so many possibilities when it comes to the brain. And and so much that we've learned just within the past decade that we didn't even think was possible. So it's incredible. Um, One last question about um, your your treatment approach. So sure. if, if, if somebody comes in and they say, you know, I'm having, they, they don't necessarily, they can't recall having a, a blow to the head. They're not experiencing headaches um, specifically, but if they're just having like a lot of brain fog or trouble with their memory, is there certain exercises you suggest for that? Or is it Similarly, you kind of test and see where there might be some dysfunction in the certain parts of the brain.
1: Yeah. So when I first started in functional neurology, the, the kind of running joke was that um, if you ask a question, the answer is always, it depends. Right. Yeah. Um, and and uh, as I now that I teach and whatnot, I, I find myself doing the same thing, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But for so for but for memory. It, it kind of depends on, obviously it depends, but I'd like to start with some foundational, say, nutritional things. Because a lot of people have brain fog just because they're not getting enough sleep or they're super stressed out or, um, you know, their HPA access uh, is all out of whack or there, there's all these different the kind of metabolic hormonal things that can happen. Uh, but if all those are perfect, hormones are awesome, nutrition's great, uh, there's supplements that you can do that can help with that. And if all of that's good, then i like to move on to like the brain training activities okay. um, because uh, for example, a lot of people will come in after a hit to the head or say they didn't know they had a hit to the head. And they'll say, well, I've been doing like these memory exercises and like it's not getting better at all. And then you find out, well, for whatever reason, whether it's trauma or genetic, they're having a terrible time tracking targets or they're having a terrible time with balance. Well, your brain's whole job is to know where you are in space and where space is in regards to you. And if you're not doing that, your brain's putting all its resources into figuring that out. So for you to remember a phone number or try to read a book and remember, it's like, who cares? Like, I don't even know where your arm is. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so we always try to fix those basic mechanisms first. And if we see that, you know, the neuro exam's pretty clean, all that stuff's doing pretty well, then I'll go straight for for memory. But a lot of times we'll find that the memory is as a consequence of Mm. some type of vestibular or balance or postural thing that's abnormal that once you fix it, now you have all these resources for memory and, and cognition. So um, again, still kind of a circuitous route, but um, but hopefully we got you know a pyramid of the nutrition, healthy, good neural function, then go up to memory exercises. I never start with them first.
0: Yeah, and I think functional neurology, mind-body medicine, functional medicine, holistic medicine. It's it's all about your daily habits. These things are the things Absolutely. that have the most effect because it's a thing that you're doing every single day and you might not even think about it. And so if you're not addressing it at that level first, at that big part of the pyramid at the bottom, it then running um, uphill. <laughs> Yeah, then you're not going to have an effect by taking a supplement um, because you're having these things that you're doing daily that are having a much more profound effect on your health.
1: Yeah. And that, that's what I try to tell people is it's a crazy thing that um, like when medicine first started because medicine hasn't been around that long, you know, the, yeah. the way we think of it. Um, but the foundational like principle on which it was, was based was that everything else was assumed to be good. Diet was supposed to be good because back in the day, you know, you kind of grew your own stuff near where you were at. You kind of ate what was around. You had a good balanced diet. Like yeah. there, was, well, there wasn't all this other extraneous stuff that we can get into. Um, so that, that basic assumption that everything else is good it is no longer valid. And so, you know, it, it's always fascinating to me that, you know, people come in and they're just dumbfounded that the fact that their diet can really play this big of a part. And you yeah. find out they're eating, you know, McDonald's and, and bread every day. And it's like, and that's it. It's like, well, where are your nutrients coming from? Where Where is your body supposed to fix itself if you're not giving it those building blocks? So, you know, I, I think it's been this, we've kind of had this, this uh, correction where it was like, we found these amazing things like we can cure diseases with antibiotics and all this unbelievable technology. But then now we've shifted to where it's like, well, that's not taking care of most of our modern conditions because what, what is the most prevalent killers these days? Cancer, diabetes, heart diseases, yes. things that are, are lifestyle related. But the reason we can have those is because we're living so much longer because of this amazing thing. So I, I think we're gonna have to, uh, we're, we're coming to kind of a, a head where we're understanding how big of a part the, the base is. And we're going to have to come back to a, a happy medium where the medical community and, and your traditional doctors understand how important this is. But then these people understand when and why surgical and medical interventions are so useful and just kind of have that nice marriage of do things when they make sense, which yes. is unbelievable to me that that's not a common <laughs> <laughs> you know, precept, yeah. but uh, that, that's where I'm hoping we go to.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny, because now we're basically our treatments are getting back to like, what we used to do. Living, right. <laughs> so that's yep. the treatment that's fixing the problems caused by technology. So I know, yeah.
1: but but the technology lets us do all these other amazing things like exactly. living longer and low birth, uh, low, you know, mortality rates during birth and like yes. all this unbelievable stuff. So it, it again, it's, it's just like anything else there. There's nothing's perfect. Nothing's terrible. Uh, It's just, as you have these, these changes, we need to kind of keep leveling out. So, um, but but I'm, I'm very optimistic because there's lots of people, um, you know, that understand this. There's lots of great research coming out. Um, And so it's no longer just us saying, Hey, you know, we think that eating vegetables is a good thing. Uh, (laughs) It's like, you know, when I have migraine patients that are getting better, they're still going back to some of their doctors and they're saying, what do you mean they're doing diet diet has nothing to do with migraine. And it's just like, it's all over the literature. Like, what are you talking about? So again, it's out there. It's just getting it disseminated, getting it common knowledge so that this just becomes debate. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited.
0: Bravo to you for helping to get this incredible information out to the masses. It's so important and we need leaders like you to do this and and pave the path forward so that we can make these changes all the way up to the public health policy level. And eventually it'll get there, but it starts with people crossed, like you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two quick questions that I sure. like to ask all of my guests who come on the podcast. Do you have a morning routine specifically and what does that include to like set you up for success for the day? <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: um, so this would have been a great question for maybe four or five months ago, because um, I'm sure you're, you're not aware, but I have a almost three year old little boy and a oh. three month old little girl. Um, so my current routine is survive. And <laughs> then I go on from there. Um, but uh, prior to that, um, I had a pretty set routine where I, I like to get up and move in the morning, because that's the so um, normally I take the dogs for a walk, or I do a workout, because uh, it gets some blood flowing. And I work better in the morning, so I tend to come in to the office about an hour or two before I'm going to see patients uh, to get at least half hour to 45 minutes done of either the book uh, that I'm working on or of the migraine program that I've been writing for the last eight months Mm -hmm. Uh, because I found with me, I can only work in 30 to 45 minute chunks while being productive. And if I try to do that more, I end up just wasting a bunch of time. And so uh, I find that if I can just carve that time out every day, I I make a lot of progress. So my morning ritual is more important is move, get at least 45 minutes in of specific non-office related productive activity. And that by itself has has been awesome. And then my wife and I always try to take, uh, again, this has not happened. So (laughs) take this with a grain of salt in the last three months. but we when i get home we like to take like just a nice like 20 30 minute walk just cuz it's the only time we get to talk these days so yeah. um but yeah that the morning is is most important to me
0: that's incredible so the other question that i like to ask everyone is Um, I know we talked about so many amazing modalities and treatments and things that people can do in their daily lives that can help their overall health and wellness. Um, But if you could provide our listeners with just one piece of tangible advice that they could put into practice in their life right now, today, that would have the greatest benefit to their well-being, um, what would that be?
1: So (laughs) this isn't specific for any condition. This is just general – Yes, Whew, that's a big question. I know it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's good. I feel like I should have prepped for this a little bit better. Um, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I I think honestly, it it wouldn't even come down to um, to food or to exercise or anything. Um, to me, honestly, it comes down to uh, kind of the discipline of routine. And you know, the same way that you kind of said that, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people say the same type of stuff. I, the reality is, anything that I do, I haven't come up with some, some major thing by myself,
0: yeah.
1: whether it's migraine stuff, whether it's uh, what I do in my daily life, I'm learning from people that were way more successful than I was. And the, the interesting thing that I see is that they all kind of do the same type of things and follow the same principles. But the most consistent thing that I find is that they don't necessarily just have one or two days or weeks where they're just wildly productive. They just are productive on a regular basis and find a way to recharge uh, as well. So that's something I, so here's, here's the one I'll use. Um, this is something I found that I was terrible at when we first started the office is we worked so hard and we thought that we were doing something good by just working, 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 and not taking vacations and all this kind of stuff. And what we found after about the fourth year, when we first start, took our first vacation is we came back and we had like the best couple of months that we'd ever had. Cause we were working yeah. so hard because we had that, that recharge. So um, the best thing that I, I can tell people that are starting a business that are working set at the beginning of the year vacations. You're going to take, even if they're only long weekends, whatever set, at least two or three of them doesn't have to be two week, you know, Tahiti vacations. I'm talking mm-hmm. about like, you know, four day getaway um, and set them regularly. Cause when you come back, you'll be ready to get back at it um, and actually just make good use of your time. So um, that's a recent personal one, but, but yeah. definitely set time aside for the rest.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And I always like to one, make sure that I have something to look forward to because it's just nice to have that. Um, So I always like to have something, you know, every few months to look forward to, but also, like you said, it's part of self care, having that ability to reset, take care of yourself because you can't, take care of everything else unless you take care of yourself first. So
1: absolutely. Yeah. And then you you find that out one way or the other. So it's good to know beforehand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if our listeners want to connect with you, find out more about your practice, find out more about your work with migraine concussion in functional neurology, um, where's the best place for them to connect with you and how, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, no, thanks. So the best way, honestly, is probably the Instagram at Migraine Doctors. That's the best way to kind of see what we're doing on a regular basis. We, we try to keep up with that quite a bit. Um, connecting with me personally, the best way is to call into the office. Uh, so all of our information is at IXneuro.com. Has all of our uh, programs, has our locations. We're both in Santa Barbara and Beverly Hills. Uh, and we take a lot of patients from out of town. That's why we're in LA, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's easy to get to. Um, and so that's the best way to, to connect. And also uh, the book that will be coming out is called Mastering Migraine, and it will actually I'm meeting with my illustrator today. So we're hoping to have it uh, done and formatted within the next uh, about two months. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. We'll have it available probably on Amazon and, and whatnot, uh, hopefully in the, the very near future.
0: Yeah, I am so excited for that. And I will definitely be one of the first people to pick that up.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having yeah. me. I, I really enjoyed it today. I appreciate it.
0: Guys, thanks for tuning into the BioCurious podcast today. If you found today's episode interesting, please feel free to leave a review, and also, I would love it if you took a screenshot of the episode and shared it on your social media so that others can find the podcast too. And as always, I love connecting with all of you and getting your feedback. So if you have any comments or questions about today's episode, please feel free to send me a direct message on Instagram. My handle is biocurious underscore Kayla. Looking forward to connecting with you and I'll see you next time.